Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management, law firm leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, I am joined by Sherry Durier. Sherry owns Durier Strategic Marketing, and has been instrumental in supporting this podcast and helping us put it together. Today, we're going to reverse roles, and Sherry's going to interview me on the topic of family offices. Thanks for joining me and taking on the role of interviewer today, Sherry. Thanks for asking me to join today. I love these episodes where we reverse roles. So, um, first of all, can you start off by explaining what a family office is? So family office can be one of those terms that I refer to, like people will use living trust. And when somebody says, I have a living trust, I'm like, well, what kind of trust exactly? Because it becomes a term that can refer to a lot of different things. So we find the same thing with the term family office. So when somebody says, I'm thinking about a family office, I ask the question, well, what exactly do you mean? Because it can refer to a large variation of structures. But as a generality, the family office is something that is focused on helping a family with wealth management, usually for a family that has a significant amount of assets. So often, 
where this comes up is we'll have a family who maybe has owned a business for a good portion of their career, has built wealth, and then sold it. And that's happened a lot recently. There's been great multiples for clients selling businesses in recent years. And so a client one moment owns a business and the next moment has a lot of wealth and is no longer running the business and their life changes. So a family office structure can be really helpful to a family in making that transition. Many of the family offices focus on managing investments, but there are a lot of different services that can also be involved. So let's say that when you had your business, your bookkeeper took care of your business bookkeeping and your personal bookkeeping and maybe your real estate LLCs, and now you don't have that business anymore. The bookkeeper is working for the company that bought you out, and so you're needing some assistance with that. Maybe you have various investments, some real estate, or maybe you have some art or some specific philanthropic activities that you're focused on. Maybe you have a family foundation. Maybe you're trying to help family members learn about financial issues and develop. Maybe you're supporting family members with different types of education. These are a variety of the services that will be part of a family office in some cases. Okay, great. So what types of structures are common for family offices? And there's several different types. One is simply what we call a single family office. And again, that can be can mean a variety of things, but the single family office in general means of one family who creates a family office. Operating, creating a family office can be a fairly significant investment. So you'll have some advisors that will define the single family office based on the net worth of a client, which may or may not be right. The number that we hear a lot is, oh, if you want a single family office, you need to have $250 million dollars. In some cases, that might be true, but in other cases, not so much. Another type of family office is what's called the virtual family office, and that's an entirely outsourced model with little or no in-house staff. So the single family office, you're going to put together a group of people that are going to be your family office. In the virtual, we have people involved, but we don't really have a physical place. The issue with the virtual family office takes a little more coordination. Another type that you will see is what we call the multifamily office. When we are in the multifamily office realm, there's a couple subtypes of that. One is the closed family office. You probably had one particular family found the multifamily office and decide this would be more cost effective if we brought in four or five other families, but we're going to have this limited number of families participate in this multifamily office. The other type of multifamily office would be more of a commercial multifamily office. That's, they're in the business of providing multifamily office services, and it won't necessarily be the founding family and several of their friends. There's another form, and we did a previous podcast on private family trust companies. A private family trust company can also serve as a family office, but will in addition have the ability to have trust powers. So this sounds fairly complicated. There's a lot of different structures that you can look at. So what are the initial considerations um, for establishing a family office? It's really important to sit down and have a conversation about exactly what are we trying to accomplish. Because sometimes the term family office can be this trendy term that gets thrown about. And, hey, you just sold your business. You should have a family office. And the question I say is, well, okay, 
what exactly are you trying to achieve? If all you really need is an accountant and you have a great accountant, you probably don't need a family office. If you have a great investment advisor, a great accountant, all of the services that you need, and a lot of business owners will have a great set of advisors, maybe it's not for you. On the other hand, if you're looking for overall management, you've sold the business, you kind of want to go travel the world, and maybe as part of selling the business, some of your advisors retired when the business sold or otherwise decided that they weren't going to be involved anymore and you're left without key advisors, then maybe looking at a family office structure might be the thing to do. So what I say is like, okay, exactly what are your objectives and what services do you need? And will you benefit those services be better through a family office type structure? Do you need everything done? You know, the bookkeeping, do you need somebody to run your household? Do you need somebody to take care of work with on your jet plane or whatever the case might be? Or are you just looking for a couple things? And that drives because again, the family office itself can get pretty expensive. There are some other advantages. So when does someone need a single family office? So the single family office does make sense for somebody with significant assets that really wants a comprehensive suite of services. One of the reasons I will look at a single family office for a client is that it also creates tax planning opportunities. And you don't have to know me very well to know how I love (laughs) tax planning opportunities for clients. But there's going to be cases where even to the extent we can come up with tax benefits, you know, the tax benefits and the tax planning opportunities have to exceed the cost. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. But one of the and one of the significant functions of the family office is actually handling investments. So you might have a family office with a CIO who's going to oversee the various investment advisors, and that can be a great strategy to help you organize and oversee the investments. There's also factors, and I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier, that may drive the family office, which is the complexity of the overall structure of assets. And the priorities of the family. So sometimes the family offices are a great great way to keep family connected, involve them. I have clients who are trying to help the next generation understand their values with regarding to wealth, maybe philanthropy, things like that. And sometimes that will lend itself to having the single family office. So with all the things that go into these decisions about structure and if you need one or not, how long does it take to create a family office? Well, technically, I could start an entity and to get that in place in 24 hours so you could have a family office tomorrow if you really wanted to. But the fact of the matter is the real process is what I mentioned earlier, which is being really clear about your objectives, deciding what you're going to do, coming up with what are my short-term goals. Maybe you need to identify some midterm goals and what are the longer-term goals. So it's really a process and the process evolves over time. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. Connect with us at fostergrp.com.
Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So what's the best legal structure for a family office? And I do always try and make that distinction between legal structure and tax structure, because it's not uncommon for somebody to say, I have an LLC, as though that means something by itself, which usually it doesn't. So LLC refers to limited liability company, and that type of legal structure exists in all 50 states, but the rules about what an LLC is and how it functions varies based on state law. So you have your legal structure, which might be a corporation, it might be a limited liability company, might be a partnership of some sort legally. Then there's the tax issue. So what is our tax status? Is it a C corporation? Is it going to be an S corporation? Are we going to be partnership tax? Are we going to be some kind of flow-through type entity? The other thing that really matters in deciding the best legal structure is who's going to be involved in the family office? Are family members going to be involved? Is it going to be one or two family members kind of looking out for more distant family members? Or are all the family members going to be involved and in what roles? Because that can really drive the tax efficiency of the structure. Another thing is, can the family office add an element of asset protection? And in a lot of cases, the answer to that can be yes. And asset protection has become very significant in recent years. The correct state to use varies also based on what the family objectives are. So there's this big assumption in a lot of estate planning vehicles to use, oh, I live in Iowa, so I should use Iowa law. But the fact is that it might be best to create a structure in Nevada or South Dakota or in Delaware, another state. You have to take a look at which state law is going to make sense for what we are trying to do with our objectives. So as you mentioned a minute ago, tax benefits are a passion of yours. So what are possible tax benefits for the family office? That's one of the really fun things in structuring the family (laughs) office for me is, but because a lot of times clients owned a business and it's easy, like I'll tell a client, look, when you own your own business, depending on what the business is, but say for you, Sherry, you're in the marketing industry, right? So every time you're out in public, you're like networking. So everything for you is a marketing expense in large order. And as a business owner, you get used to that. And so you can deduct a lot of things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to deduct. So now you've got that business, you sell it. And then those same things that you eventually attended, all of those become personal expenses rather than expenses you can deduct. So in the family office, you can create a different type of business. So this business is managing the family's assets and the family structure. It does have to actually meet the trade and business test to qualify for those deductions to be deductible, but that's one of the things that should be considered in the structure. There's also a case out there called lender management. It's referred to more generically as the lender bagel case. And this is where the court said that a family office can, in fact, be a bona fide trade or business which means that a lot of the things that you do can be deductible. And one of the things about the lender case that I love is that that we have these rules about the deductibility investment expenses. And under the lender case, it's possible to structure your family office so that you can deduct some investment expenses that might otherwise be non-deductible. 
So when should a family consider the multifamily rather than the single family? So again, there's that whole concept that it's based on the value of wealth, but I don't necessarily think that that's always going to be correct. It definitely is more cost-effective generally to do a multifamily office with a little less wealth, but in the single-family office, there's more tax deduction and tax planning opportunities and can be more family involvement depending on the structure. So it's really looking at those overall things and making that decision based on the overall factors. Does a family office have to be registered with the SEC? And I'm going to say the general answer is yes, but there is a single family office exemption. And that's probably the subject of almost a whole podcast in itself. So I'm just going to mention that, that you have to look at whether there's any requirements to register under those rules or, you know, make sure that you meet the exemption and make a conscious decision about whether it makes sense to qualify for the exemption. So Mary, any last thoughts? Well, I just can't repeat enough that if you're going to go down the path of a family office, sit down with some trusted advisors and develop a clear vision of what your objectives are and what services you're trying to have achieved through the family office so that you create a structure that works in the short term and can evolve in the long term. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.